Glad that you can join us on this Sunday morning. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here and glad that you can be with us here on this Sunday morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. Uh, if you know the book of Acts, we are nearing the end of it. Uh, there's 28 chapters and uh, next Sunday we'll actually finish uh, the series that we began in the Sunday after Easter. And so we've kind of gone through this and we're nearing the end. We're going to look at chapter 27, verse 39. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen or you could actually look at one of the church Bibles that are provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could turn to page 937 of your church Bibles. Uh, last week, we saw how Paul went through various trials uh, where they wanted to kill him, destroy him. And whether it was Felix or Agrippa, they found no charge that actually deemed worthy of his guilt. But because Paul appealed for Caesar, they felt like they had to still take him and keep him imprisoned to go to Rome. And so what we we're going to skip in chapter 27 is his journey to Rome with this guy named um, Julius, the centurion that takes him on this boat, headed for Rome. But there's this huge northeaster, this big storm that hits their ship. And this ship sets them off course, the exact opposite way from Rome. And you can imagine how devastated Paul would feel. That this would actually take him away from Rome, the place where he desired to bring the gospel. And so as, they, as this ship is headed to a completely different direction, this storm battering their ship, they had to basically get rid of all of their food, all of their belongings. They had to cut down the mast that was attached to the sail so that they wouldn't be killed. And in so doing, you can imagine the despair and hopelessness that Paul and all of these, uh, these other prisoners felt. Well, they wait for daylight to break waiting and hoping that there could at, le at least be some hope. And as daylight breaks, this is where we begin to pick up in verse 39 of chapter 27. So read with me, and we'll read uh, up to 28, verse 10. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors, and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, which was Julius, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. 
When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, Paul, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put us on board whatever we needed. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that this word is not just letters on some random page, but that these words bring us life. They transform us and have the power to, Lord, give us hope in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges that we face. So, Lord, I pray this morning as we sit here under your word, Lord, give us humility, but also give us teachable hearts so that we might be transformed by the good news of Jesus. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, back a few years when my sister was going to get married, her desire was always to have a destination wedding. And so the place that she chose was Cancun, Mexico. And so we were all excited because one of the things that she gifted me with was that my family and I would go for free. She would pay for the air flights. She would pay for the lodging. And so we were going to have an all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink, obviously drinking responsibly, but... <laughs> An, an amazing week of just festivities and celebrating my sister's wedding. But all of that came to kind of a halt because a week before her wedding in Cancun, the, the weather uh, casters and the forecasters said that there was going to be this big hurricane, a stage three hurricane that would basically make landfall in Cancun. So for my sister, you could imagine being a week away all of the dreams she had of a wedding, from the time she was little of having a, this beautiful white dress, to the flower arrangements, to the guy that she was marrying, uh, to her first dance with my dad and uh, with her husband. All of these things came to a screeching halt for her with just a week to go before the wedding. And I remember how her eyes were glued to the TV how she would be checking the internet and updating it all the time to see whether this, this storm would go off track and her wedding could be saved. Now, at the end of it, we were able to go and have a beautiful wedding. But that last week, being so close to the wedding and realizing that it, realizing that it could not happen was one of the most stressful, most dis disheartening times for my sister. This, in some ways, is where Paul finds himself in this passage. Paul's not going to Rome for a wedding. He's waited and hoped his entire life to be able to go to Rome to preach the gospel, to strengthen the church, 
This was always his dream. This was always his desire. And what we've seen is that in that dream, with being so close to Rome, all of it is washed away. In Acts 19, Paul says, I must see Rome. In his letter in his letter in Romans, in chapter 1, this is what he writes to the Roman church. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at the last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. You could feel and hear his longing and desire to be in Rome, but it's been this very difficult journey. One where it began in Acts 21 when he said goodbye to Ephesus. If you remember, he, he cries and they weep together as he sets from Ephesus off to Rome in chapter 21. And it's not until chapter 28 he finally reaches Rome. And in those seven chapters, it's been two and a half years of frustrations, of setbacks, one after the other. Let me give you an example. Three crowds tried to rip him apart in his journey to Rome. Two groups tried to ambush him and kill him. Last week, we saw how he faces two judges. And though they find him innocent, what do they do? They keep him imprisoned and in jail. And what we skipped over in chapter 27, they hit this northeaster that takes him off course, leaving him hopeless. And then what do we see in today's passage? As daylight breaks, as they see a beach and land, they make headway for it. They cut off all their anchors and they sail to this island. And what happened? Bam! Their ship hits this sandbar and they're literally stuck. So close to Rome. And yet, he is literally stuck and can't go anywhere. My sister felt stuck. But Paul is literally stuck, not being able to see his dreams and his desire to go to Rome to preach the gospel. And I'm thinking this whole time, as you read this story, why? Paul is so close, and yet he faces another setback right before he hits Rome, as we'll see next week. Another calamity, one after another. Frustration, despair, anger, disappointment. Bitterness, cynicism. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt stuck, being so close and yet so far away? Maybe it's a career setback for you. You've done everything you're supposed to do to get the promotions, to get a bump in your salary. And yet you feel stuck because you are never honored for your work. Maybe it's family systems or things going on in relationships. And you feel like you've made headway. You've gone to see counselors. You've done what you could do. And yet something happens and you feel like your relationship is severed even more. I've shared with you in the past, last December during Christmas and New Year's, all the work that I thought I had made with my dad, forgiveness, reconciliation, all hit this massive wall in this one thing that happened during our Christmas vacation. And feeling stuck, like going, why in the world is this happening? I've done everything I could, and yet I feel like I'm miles apart from my dad again. Maybe for others, it's students here 
you feel like you do all the things you're supposed to do in studying, in uh, getting the right grades, in participating in sports and clubs and organizations, and yet you feel like you're, your parents are disappointed in you all the time, or you don't get into the school you want to, or you can't make the friends that you think you want to or you desire to. Setbacks. You see that light at the end of the tunnel, and yet in the midst of different circumstances, that light is swallowed up. Do you feel stuck? Do you feel stuck in your life? The writer Luke in this story, in this passage that we just looked at, does not describe Paul as one who is feeling angry or hopeless. He has all the right to, doesn't he? I gave you a list of ways in which he has felt stuck, setback after setback. And yet, as this story focuses on Paul the entire time, you see a man who sees God's providence over his situation, and he redeems it. And that's what I want us to do briefly here this morning, is look at these two aspects we need to see. We need to see God's providence. And secondly, we need to actually redeem it. When you're feeling stuck, how can we see and how can we redeem? Now, in this first point of needing to see and being able to see God's providence, when we talk about providence, I I think a lot of times we can sort of mix up the word providence and, and say it's synonymous with like fate or destiny, right? This past World Series uh, we got to see the Texas Rangers win the World Series, but we, not we, I said we, as Cardinals fans, right, as Cardinals fans here, we remember the last time, we remember the last time the Cards played the Texas Rangers in the World Series, back in what, I think 2011, and that was fate, right, Ten and a half games back with a month to go, you guys got into the World Series, or into the postseason, And in the brink of elimination against the Rangers, the Cardinals found a way to win it all. That's fate. That's destiny. It was destined for you to win the World Series. But you see, the difference between fate and and providence is that fate is apersonal. It's impersonal. Whereas providence is very, very much personal. God knows Paul. God knows me. God knows you intimately. There is a relationship that he has with each and every single one of us for those who are in Christ. And here, Paul is able to see God's providence even when he's stuck. And we see these in a number of ways. First, we see God's providence in his protection for Paul. You see here as they... as. They get stuck on the sandbar. These prisoners, what is their initial gut reaction? It's to jump overboard and go make landfall. But the problem for uh, Julius the centurion and these other Roman centurions is that if these guys go and they're set free, the, the punishments that the prisoners are to receive are now put upon Julius and the other centurions and the other Roman guards. And so what, do, what does Julius say? He says, I need to kill. We need to kill every single prisoner here. Otherwise, we die. But what do we see in God's providence? 
Julius the centurion says, no, we will not kill them because Paul must make it to Rome. God's care and protection over Paul and all the others on the ship is evident here of God's providence. But not only that, we see his protection over this viper, right? This, as Paul is helping get all this firewood to make this fire larger, he gets bit by a viper. And all these native islanders see this happen. And what do they do? They literally just watch Paul. Their eyes are glued on Paul and go, oh my goodness, he is going to die. And so they just wait and they wait and they wait. And what happens? He does not keel over. He does not die. And what do they, they say? He must be a God. God's protection is seen or God's providence is seen through the protection of Paul. But not just protection, God's gracious care. It's raining it's cold. People say that Malta, where presently it is, at night around this time would be about 50 degrees. But when it's raining, it must have been even colder. What do these native islanders do? They build this fire for them. Over the three days, they care for them. They practice hospitality for Paul and the others. And then when they're about to leave, these islanders give them gifts, supplies, food, and a new ship. Is that why they can make it to Rome? We see God's providence through this gracious care and protection for Paul. When do we see God's providence? When do you see God's providence? I think a lot of times we see it in hindsight, right? 2020, we see how everything is, in hindsight, everything's 2020. And that's good and encouraging. And Luke actually, in, in his writing, makes that absolutely clear because what happened when they hit that sandbar, when the storms came? They had, to throw over, they had to throw all their food overboard. But what happens when they're about to set sail again? They have all the food and the gifts and the supplies they need. What happens when they hit the sandbar and the waves are crashing and destroying their ship? They have a new ship to be able to head to Rome. You see, in hindsight, we see God's providence. But how about when we're stuck? In the midst of when we're stuck, do we see God's providence when it is actually difficult? How do we actually do that? I think in many ways it has to happen in community, doesn't it? In our Bible study this past Wednesday, one of the questions was about how do we eagerly await? How do we eagerly wait for the coming of Christ? How do we eagerly await for the restoration of all things? And as our group began to share, there were so many different ways through God's word, through community, through one another, through Bible studies, through God's word, through testimony, through Sunday mornings. There's so many ways in which we can see God's providence even in the midst of when we actually feel stuck and we're going through those hard, difficult moments. We need community to be able to hear from others who have gone through it already, who can see things in hindsight and share with us God's promises, God's care, God's provision. It has to happen in community when we are stuck. We can actually begin to see God's providence, God's gracious care, His protection, the promises that He's given you and me. That's how we begin to see God's providence. But secondly, not only do we need to see, we also have to redeem. 
We have to redeem. And the reason I say we have to redeem is because in the moments that we're stuck, what do we tend to do? We tend to grab on with white knuckles trying to control our situations, don't we? When we're stuck and in despair, our, our, our natural inclination is to try to control our situations. Because if we control our situations, then we know where we're going. There's no uncertainty. I can actually create my path for whatever I desire. But what it shows us when we're stuck is that we don't have control. God is the only one who knows. And when I say we need to redeem our hearts, we need to be able to repent of wanting to be God, of wanting control in our lives. Do you guys remember the first time you ever went on a roller coaster? Mine wasn't until my senior year of high school. Somehow I got away with it. I was too scared, but you couldn't avoid it when you had senior ditch day, and we all went to Six Flags. And I remember going on my first roller coaster, and on the way up, I remember going, woohoo, hands up, everybody, right? Like, let's do this. But then as you hit the top of that pinnacle, and you see that monstrosity of a drop, my hands went from up in the air to clenching onto that bar and to whoever was next to me, right? Because you can't let go of your control. That, that, that uncertainty, that fear just is just too immense. And so I had to hold on with white knuckles. That's what we do when we're stuck. We want to control and we want to cling and hold on to our situations. We want to cling on to our people. We want to be able to do things in our own way. But when we repent, we are saying we are clinging to Christ. We're holding on to Christ and not the situations that we find ourselves in. And so that means we repent of our impatience so that we might be patient when things are uncertain. We repent of not surrendering control so that we might learn what it means to be able to surrender our control. And we repent of wanting to be God so that we might actually begin to love Him and trust Him. This is what redeeming our hearts looks like. But secondly, it's also to redeem our time. Paul here has all the right to sulk. He has all the right to be resigned and complain on that island of Malta, right? I mean, it's been one setback after another. And he could just basically give up and say, I'm done. I'm just going to lay on this beach, get a nice suntan, and forget about Rome. But what do we see him do in this story? He redeems his time as he invests in people. Julius, the centurion. You see this beautiful movement from one where Julius distrusts Paul to trusting him than to actually seeing him as a companion. This is the investment Paul made in loving Julius well, but also in the ministry that he did on this island, in Publius and the rest of the sick islanders. What did he do? He went, he prayed for them. He healed their illnesses and their sicknesses. He invested and spent time with the people of this island. It's so different from how I would react and respond when I am stuck. 
Although Paul longs for Rome, he takes advantage of his time. He cherishes it, actually. And he places all of his investment and his time in people and the relationships that God has put in his life in that moment when he is so stuck. How do we redeem our hearts and our times when we're stuck? There's a story that illustrates this well in Chicago. There was a story where um, the news had picked up on this single mom and, and her 10-year-old daughter. And she had lost her job. And in so losing her job, she actually lost her home. And because of her not having a home for her 10-year-old daughter, DCFS came and said, if you do not find yourself in a residential place soon, we're going to take your daughter away. And so she scrounged up everything she could, and she was able to get this cheap motel room in Chicago. And in so doing, there was this man, Curtis, who heard about her situation. But the thing about Curtis Jackson is that he was homeless. And he had been homeless for seven years. And in hearing her story, he decided for the next six months he would make as much money on the streets, panhandling, asking for money, asking for change, and give it all to this woman and her 10-year-old daughter. And over those six months, he made $9,000 and gave all of it to her. You talk about a man, Curtis Jackson, who was stuck. (laughs) Stuck. But here we see a man who understood what it meant to redeem his time in investing in people and others. Taking his eyes off of himself and learning to cast his eyes upon the people around him. That's what we're talking about when we see how Paul redeems his heart and his time. This, this I'm sure, is very applicable for all of us as we think about different situations, be it in the home, in your workplace, at school, in your neighborhood, of feeling stuck in the situations that are brought, upon, brought about in your life. And for me and my wife, we've gone through those different times in our lives where we felt stuck as well. I remember when we were trying to have our third child and trying to have that third child took a very, very long time. And about a year in and trying, we felt literally stuck as well. And wondering why isn't God allowing us to have this third child and complaining and feeling resigned and hopeless. And it was around that time where I heard uh, a devotion on Romans 8.28. And many of us, if you grew up in the church, are familiar with, be, with this verse because it's often quoted. But it, it says this, it says, And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I've always thought of this verse as one that is something future, Right? Almost thinking about things in hindsight, everything's 2020. Yes, coming out of our situation, looking back in hindsight, God granted us and was kind enough in giving us a third child, and we see how God works for the good of those who love him. But as I focus in that moment where we're struggling, I realize this passage isn't just a promise of future deliverance, that God does work out all things for the good of those who love him. 
but that God presently in the midst of being stuck works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not just when the dust has settled, but in the midst of when we feel stuck, God is actually working out all things for the good of those who love him. God is working now for the good of those who love him. In the midst of feeling stuck, God is working presently for the good of those who love him. He's with us no matter how stuck or discouraged we may feel. And I can say this with confidence. Why? Because our Father did that for us through His Son, Jesus, didn't He? Think about Jesus who hung on that cross, who was given no protection from the Father, and whose Father's gracious care was removed from His Son on that cross. And the Son who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that on his son so that we might never have to endure that or experience that kind of separation from our God. You will always be protected. His gracious care will always be upon you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forget you. He is faithful to the end for those who are in Christ. Let that be our hope. Let that be our encouragement this morning, that even in the midst of feeling stuck, our God is faithful. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, you never forget us. You never dismiss us. You delight in us. You care for us. Your protection over us is always. And though we might feel stuck, whatever situations that we find ourselves in, Lord, I pray that this morning we might be able to see, we might be able to see your love for us as we come to this table, one that reminds us of what Christ endured for us because of his extravagant, unconditional, lavish love for us. And Lord, may you help us to redeem that as we move out, as we go to our homes and to our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, Lord, I pray that you would help us to repent and be people who would invest in others, knowing, God, that as you surely care for us, how much more you care also for others. Won't you do that in us as we come to the table, as you strengthen us, as you nourish us? Lord, I pray that we might be able to be not only be reminded, but that we might experience your loving kindness now. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.